Pray is uh, the series that we're in the third week of right now. And let me open with a story. Derek Redmond was one of the greatest sprinters in Olympic history. But he'll be forever remembered for what happened in the semifinals of the Olympics in Barcelona. He was widely expected to not only win this race, but to win the gold medal too. The stadium packed with 65,000 fans. Derek roars to the lead, but down the back stretch, last leg of the race, suddenly he hears a pop in his right hamstring, and he pulls up lame like he's been shot. A shoo-in to make the finals, but he falls lame. And then in a moment that'll live forever, he starts hobbling down the track. And then Derek's dad, Jim, comes running out of the stands, brushes aside the security people, and puts his arm around his son. And he says, I'm here, son. We'll finish together. And together, arm in arm, father and son walk down the track. You know, almost... No one remembers who won that race. But no one who was watching will ever forget this scene. When 65,000 people got on their feet and gave a standing ovation to the guy who came in last. Isn't that an awesome story and an awesome example for us all? To me, that right there, that is a visual metaphor of what you can do as you help other people through your prayers. Through your prayers, you can help people because life is tough. Life will injure people. Life will wound people. But through your prayers, you can play the role of Derek Redmond's dad. You can put an arm around them, lifting them up when otherwise they would not be able to finish the race. Now, I have to be very honest with you. I know this from personal experience because I have been depressed and discouraged and down at times in my life when the only thing that has kept me going in the race has been people I love who've kind of come out of the stands, who've who've left what they were doing to tell me specifically, Renee, I am praying for you. And I said, thank you, because those were often moments when I didn't feel like I had the strength or even the faith to pray for myself. And some of you know this. There's times that life has had you so hobbled that you didn't know if you can finish the race. Maybe you feel that right now. And the only thing that helps is when people who love you run beside you and lift you up together. And I just want you to know, if you feel like that right now today, you are surrounded by probably 1,100, 1,200 people in this room right now who will be lifting you up in prayer today. You can make it. You can finish the race because we gather together, as Trent said, as a church to lift one another up as one. You know, this is what we want to talk about today, what the Bible calls uh, intercession or intercessory prayer, but I just call it praying together for one another. And this is something I have to admit uh, to my shame that we don't talk about a lot here at Twin Lakes Church, intercessory prayer. And I don't know why we don't talk about it, but honestly, it's a failure because we need to kind of juice up that part of our church life. It is so important. You know who, to me, is one of the people who's Derek Redmond's dad, to me? 
who surrounds me and lifts me up in prayer. There is a gentleman uh, here today named Todd. He's right back there. I love everything about Todd, except for the fact that he wears a New York Yankees cap every single weekend. But uh, Todd uh, is brought here uh, from a a nursing home where he lives uh, as a result of disabilities he's experiencing because of a stroke. And uh, because of the stroke, uh, Todd is difficultly walking and uh, speaking. But Todd comes up to me every single weekend, and uh, (laughs) he gives me a list of people that he's been praying for all week long. And it's a little different every week, and he always gives me a copy. He has somebody there at Pleasant Care make a copy of his list. And my name and my wife's name are always at or near the top And uh, I counted this list today. There's 93 names on it in his uh, scrawl, and he has a check mark beside each name where he uh, has gone through and he's prayed for them all week long. And uh, and after the service, Todd always gives me uh, one of his bottles of water. That's part of his allotment at Pleasant Care. You talk about... (laughs) You know, somebody who, who you might look at and say, he can't do much. Jesus said, pray for one another and give each other, you know, cups of water. And you'll hear, well done, that good and faithful servant. And there's a lot of you who do it, but uh, Todd's one of my heroes. Give it up for Todd. He's awesome. And I'll grab that water after the service. Now, this makes a difference. It's, this isn't just sentimental. This is something Jesus told us to do. This is something I want to improve, intercessory prayer in my own life. Why? There's a great story in chapter 9 of the book of Mark uh, about this. Uh, it's fascinating because in this story, Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he goes on a little trip, and he leaves the other nine disciples by themselves. And they're just sort of trying not to mess things up too bad while Jesus is away with the good disciples, you know, Peter, James, and John. And the Bible says they're sort of trying to stay out of trouble when a great crowd recognizes them from the other side of the lake. And they say, look, there's some of the disciples of that guy, Jesus. And they all start crowding around the other nine disciples, the ones whose names you and I always forget, Nathaniel and Matthias and all these guys. And it says they're feeling a little bit awkward about all this. They're doing the best they can until a young father fights his way through the crowd, and he's brought with him his little son. And, and he says, my son is demon-possessed, which gets everybody's attention. And the way he describes the symptoms, it, it sounds like the, the son is experiencing something like epileptic seizures, fits, that suddenly the father says, we'll throw the son uh, onto the ground. And, and he says, at night when we're around the fire, warming ourselves as a family, sometimes he'll, he'll leap into the fire and we, we drag him out and we put out the fire, his burning clothes, and we don't know what to do. Can you stop it? Can you heal him? And I, I, the Bible says the disciples don't know what to do. And you can tell they're kind of going, wow, Jesus isn't here, nor Peter, James, nor John. Uh, demon possession. Nathaniel, take it. That's yours. You know, uh, Nathaniel says, oh, no, I insist. You go first. It's your turn. They're feeling awkward. They try some stuff. It doesn't work. And the guy's son isn't healed. And the man's a little bit disappointed. And the crowd's like, wow, these guys are, you know, a no-show. And it says, just at that moment, Jesus shows back up. He returns from his trip. What's going on? They, they hear it explained to him. And the Bible says he stops and he prays for the man and his son. And the son's fits stop and he's healed. 
And it says the disciples kind of nod about this, and then when the crowds go away, the nine disciples quickly say, Jesus, now that the crowds are gone, what just happened there? Why couldn't we do anything for that man's son? And Jesus says something interesting in answer to that. He says, this kind can come out only by what? By prayer. And the lesson there is simple. There's some things that only happen when we pray. Now, he's not saying there's some things that only happen when we only pray. I'm not saying you should only pray and not get medicine. I'm not saying you should only pray and not get vaccinations. I'm not saying you should only pray and never wear your seatbelts and never wear helmets when you ride your bike. But there's some things that only happen when prayer is also a necessary ingredient. And when prayer is a part of things, there are remarkable things that can happen. There's all sorts of new studies that are coming out that are, that are showing the effect of praying for others. I put just a couple of those in your notes, but I could have put dozens more. Look at some of these. Uh, some researchers found, according to a news report, patients who had been prayed for tended to recover with fewer complications than those who received standard treatment without prayer. And in another similar study uh, presented at the National Institutes of Health Conference one year, patients in a chaplain prayer group had an average two-day shorter post-operation hospitalization, resulting, incidentally, in cost savings of $4,200 per patient. You know, so uh, your insurance company will probably give you discounts if you pray. Now, I don't know, but it's remarkable. You can help yourself out uh, when you ask other people to pray for you. The Bible talks a lot about the effects of praying for others. Today, I just quickly want to look at five things that happen, five things that God does through you when you pray for others, and then we're going to do it. We're going to take a few minutes to just pray for others during some music at the end of the service. But jot these five things down. And this is, these aren't the only things in the Bible, but these are just five of the things the Bible says God does when I pray for others. Number one, my prayers can help set people free. Set people free. Quite literally, sometimes. In Acts chapter 12, the apostle Peter's been tossed into prison for preaching. And it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Chains fell off. Why? The church was earnestly praying to God for him. Listen, are there any Christians in any prison cells that are currently uh, in chains because of their faith? Absolutely all over the world, more now than ever in the history of the Christian church. I mean, the eyes of the world are on Syria today, right? My wife forwarded me uh, this email. It's the prayer of a pastor in Syria, and it really gives insight into the suffering of our brothers and sisters there right now, this morning. And you wonder, why don't they all just leave? right? Just go somewhere safe. Listen to what this guy says. I weep for my country. I'm so sad and speechless. Everybody advises me to leave, but I respond by saying, I'm staying that the message of Jesus may remain a light guiding those who are afraid right now. I'm staying because the harvest is plentiful right now and the suffering is huge. I'm staying right now 
to follow in the footsteps of my master. But then he adds, but do pray for us. Pray that the cup of war be taken away from our country. Pray that the Lord may give us to speak with great boldness and souls return to Christ. And pray that the Lord may send more food, support, medication, and healing for the wounded and the sick and our children who are now disabled as a result of these attacks. And he concludes, O Lord, hear and answer our prayers. And we're going to give you a chance to pray for those brothers and sisters of yours in Syria in just a minute and also in Egypt. There's many pastors and Christians in Egypt who are going through the same thing. We need to pray for them. Through our prayers today, we can run out of our stands and not just observe, but but spiritually come alongside of them and lift them up in prayer. Thanks to the Internet, so many of these pastors and Christians know that Christians all over the world are praying for them, are holding them up when they feel like they can't finish the race. And not only overseas, many people here in Santa Cruz, here in this room right now, are in chains, different kinds of chains, but chains because of addiction, chains because of sin, chains because of disease, and we can run alongside of them and pray for them and help them to finish the race. Your prayers can really help set people free. Number two, your prayers can help bring peace. They can actually help bring peace. I want you to show you some amazing uh, verses here. In Jeremiah 29, for example, God says to the captured Jews in Babylon, verse 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is a fascinating verse because he's talking about Babylon where these Jews had been ripped from their homes in Jerusalem and they were, they were in forced manual labor, many of them, here in Babylon. And God says, don't pray against this city. Pray that it prospers and has peace because if it prospers and has peace, then you, you will too. And that applies to us. So many Christians that I meet, and sometimes I feel like this, uh, are mad at the situation in Santa Cruz or Salinas or Watsonville. There's crime and there's gangs and there's drugs, and, and they're, they're angry that, that they feel like more hasn't been done about it, and they're giving up hope. They're like, I've had it. I'm writing off Santa Cruz. I'm writing off Watsonville. I'm writing off Salinas. It's a joke. God doesn't say to write it off and say it's a joke. He says, pray for it. Pray for the peace and prosperity. There's a sociologist, Rodney Stark, who says this is, in fact, how early Christians gained a hearing in ancient Rome. Ancient Rome, for the first three centuries, is just pounding on them for much of the time. And yet the Christians relentlessly sought to bless Rome and seek its peace and prosperity through all kinds of different ways and finally gained a hearing about their faith. Similarly, Paul writes these words to Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, remember that's the fancy word for pray for each other, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone. If you have a pencil or pen, underline or circle and star everyone. Everyone. He's saying, when you pray, don't make it along party lines. When you pray, don't make it just about who you voted for. When you pray, don't make it just about the people you like. When you pray, pray for everyone. When you pray, include those political figures 
who may be secretly behind closed doors become the butt of jokes by Christians. Pray for kings and all those in authority. And what's the goal? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, before you flip over to the second page, let me just give you one example of how this can work because you might be going, so I don't, I don't get it. So we pray for our country. How, does that, how is that a benefit? Do you realize you're living in a country right now that has benefited from that? Um, Twin Lakes Church is pretty old. We were, we were started in 1890. In fact, there's a new history display of, of some of the history of Twin Lakes, including the, uh, our old model of this campus when this was just somebody's imagination. That's all at a new history display out in the lobby. I hope you check that out. But we were started in 1890, almost 125 years old, and that means we've got a lot of boxes in our basement and attic and so on that nobody ever goes through that are full of junk and a few little hidden treasures, probably like you have right in your attic. And so once in a while, we decide to go through those boxes and go, all right, we better throw this away. Oh, i got to keep that, toss this stuff. We were doing this one day, and I open up a box, and it's got a, a whole bunch of VHS videotape. Anybody here remember VHS videos? This is back in like the Flintstone age, right? Okay. And none of these are professional videos. They're all like TDK and Max sell videotapes that somebody bought at the store and they're labeled with pencil markings that are like good one and things like that. I don't even know what this means. And one of them has a pencil scrawl, J. Edwin Orr, O-R-R, -R, right? And so I'm thinking, oh yeah, that's a, I remember that guy. He was an evangelist back in the day. The only evangelist that I know of who had two earned doctorates, including a PhD from Oxford in history. And so this guy's an evangelist and, and, and this brain about history. So I'm thinking, well, this might be interesting. So we find a VHS machine, dust it off, plug it into a TV, and I pop in the tape, and I am riveted. Because he starts telling a true story that I had never heard before about the country we live in. He says this, not many people realize that in the wake of the American Revolution, there was a moral slump. Drunkenness became epidemic. Out of a population of just 5,300,000 were confirmed alcoholics. And that's by the loose standards of the day. One historian estimates that during the 1770s, the average adult male may have consumed as much as three pints of rum weekly in addition to his ale, wine, and whiskey diet. For the first time in the history of America, women were afraid to go out at night for fear of assault. Bank robberies and riots were a daily occurrence. What about all the churches in all this Mayhem. Well, Methodists were losing more members than they were gaining in a typical congregational church in Massachusetts. In 16 years, they had not taken one new person into fellowship. The Episcopal Bishop of New York quit because his church had confirmed no one for so long that he decided he was out of work. Thomas Paine said, Christianity will be forgotten in 30 years. John Marshall, Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, said, the church is too far gone to ever be redeemed. A poll taken at Harvard discovered not one believer in the entire student body, not one. 
They took a poll at Princeton, a much more evangelical place, where they discovered two believers in the entire student body and only five that did not belong to the so-called filthy speech movement of the day, where college students tried to inject as much profanity and blasphemy as they possibly could into their everyday conversation. That was an actual movement. And I think it's making a comeback right now by my observation. But <laughs> students rioted against Christians, forced the resignation of the Christian president of Harvard, took a Bible out of a local church in New Jersey and burned it in a public bonfire demonstrating against Christianity. Christians were so few on campus in the 1790s at Princeton that they had to meet in secret like a communist cell and keep their minutes in code so that no one would find out who they were and attack them. This is not an alternate reality, America. This is the way it was here from about the 1770s to 17, end of the 1790s. How did the situation change? Well, in New England, there was a man named Isaac Bacchus, a Baptist pastor, who in 1794 mailed a letter that was an urgent plea for prayer for revival to the pastor of every different Christian denomination and church that he could find in the entire United States. If he had their mailing address, he mailed them this letter. Most pastors ignored it. But there was a Presbyterian minister in Kentucky named James McGreedy, whose chief claim to fame was that he was so ugly that he attracted attention. I am not making this up. He was the pastor of a tiny church in Kentucky, and he promoted the idea of a concert of prayer, he called it, on the first Monday of every month. First Monday, nobody comes. Then five, then ten, then a room full, and in the summer of 1800, 11,000 people come to one of his prayer services. And that event started a revival, out of which came the whole modern missionary movement, out of it came the abolition of slavery, out of it came, became popular education, Bible societies, Sunday schools, and many other social benefits. All of American society was affected to this day because people prayed. Now, at the end of this service, we're going to pray. Saturday morning, we're having a church prayer day, and I wonder what we might be starting when we pray together, because your prayers can help set people free. They can bring peace and prosperity. And third, my prayers can open my eyes to the needs of others. Open my eyes to the needs of others. In Isaiah 58, God says about his people, day after day they seek me out, they ask me for just decisions, but is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for a man to humble himself? So these people are having their own day of prayer here, and God says, uh, get your eyes off yourself, because praying also involves opening your eyes to the needs of others. 
God goes on in this passage, says, Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen, to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter, and when you see the naked, to clothe him? Story. A woman at our church named Barbara Taylor found these verses happening to her. Here's what happened. Barbara was praying for kids who live in poverty. Do you ever do that when you, when you pray? You just pray, God, help those poor children who are living in poverty. I, I do. And she was praying, and Barbara said that she was just going, God, I, I want to do more than pray. I want to help. How can I help them? And God showed her an amazing ministry idea called Dress a Girl Around the World. And Barbara thought it was a great idea. She just started it on June 1st here at Twin Lakes Church. And already over 160 volunteers aged from 13 to 98 from Twin Lakes Church donate their time to make dresses for kids around the world who otherwise would not have nice clothes to go to school in and so on. And they send these to different children's homes that we support all around the world in Africa, India, and so on. And they send the dresses with Bibles and their written prayers for these girls. And get this, they have just sent, now they just started this summer, they have just sent out their 500th dress and they have orders around the world for 700 more. And I want to show you, here are some girls from Zambia this summer wearing dresses that Barbara and her Twin Lakes volunteers have made. Don't you guys love this? <laughs> Check this out. Barbara tells me that we have requests pending from Sri Lanka, Mexico, India, Tanzania, Grand Bahama, Nicaragua, and Ecuador. <laughs> and here's Barbara and one of her volunteers, Lisa Fuentes. Our community's getting into it. Have to give a shout out to Beverly's Fabrics. They provided us with kind of our starting inventory of cloth. But listen to what Barbara emailed me. She says, Dress a Girl is a great example of learning through prayer how God is moving your heart and then learning what God is doing for that need and then getting on board. It started with prayer. It continues with prayer. Here's a picture, in fact, of the Dressa Girl volunteers praying right before they sent out their last shipment. Now, if you want to be part of that team, you can go to their Facebook page, search for Dressa Girl Around the World, Santa Cruz, California, on Facebook, and you'll be able to get in touch with them. But this kind of thing is exactly what this verse is talking about. You pray for others, and it opens your eyes, and it opens your heart to needs. You pray for others, and suddenly you'll be like, I need to go to the hospital to visit that person. I want to call that person. I want to text them, tell them I'm praying for them. You, it motivates you into motion. And that's exactly what God says. And then fourth, my prayers can strengthen the faith of leaders. Strengthen the faith of leaders. Jesus did this for Peter. This verse has always fascinated me. As Jesus went through his final days, he brings Simon Peter aside and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. 
And we know this prayer was answered, but what is amazing to me here is that Peter, even though Jesus prayed for him, still went through a time of struggle. He still denies Jesus. He still does it three times. He still gets discouraged. But when that was over, Peter comes back and loves Jesus like never before. And I'm asking you, please pray for leaders, volunteer and staff leaders at Twin Lakes and churches all around the world whom Satan wants to sift like wheat. But pray that when that trial is over, they would return and strengthen other people. Pray for the strength of ministry leaders. And then finally, number five, prayers increase ministry impact. Prayers increase ministry impact. You say, all right, yeah, I guess theoretically. Okay, now check this out. Uh, about 18 years ago, I had the huge privilege of meeting a pastor who's legendary among pastors now. His name's David Yonggi Cho. He's from Seoul, Korea. I met him down in Southern California at a pastor's conference. Uh, if you don't know his story, in the 60s, he wanted to impact South Korea. Uh, Christian uh, church growth wasn't really happening there at a time, and so he decides to start a church in his friend's living room, right? So that little church starts to grow. They decided they should pitch a tent in his friend's front yard. Well, they outgrew the tent, had to rent some buildings. By 1965, that church had 3,000 people in an area that had been very resistant to the gospel. So the church keeps exploding. By 72, they have 10,000 people. By 79, they have 100,000 people, 100,000. By 1984, the church had grown to 400,000 and if you go to South Korea today, you'll discover that the Yodo Full Gospel Church has 800,000 people that attend services there every single weekend. It's the largest church on planet Earth. Well, a friend of mine who's a pastor in Southern California visited that church, and he said he met with some of the pastors and just said, what's your secret, right? What's your secret? What are you guys doing that the church is kind of going crazy like this? And every one of them said the same thing. They said, it's the furnace room. The what? Our furnace room. He said, furnace room, what are you talking about? And they said, why don't you come back at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning, and we'll show you the furnace room. So he goes, all right. And so he sets his alarm. He gets up, kind of groggy. He's got sleep in his eyes. And they take him to one of the big buildings on campus, and there's double doors that say furnace room on them in Korean, English, and some other languages. He said, this is interesting. And they open the doors, and inside the doors are between 8,000 and 10,000 people praying for the church. This is at 5 in the morning. I don't even believe in God before 6 in the morning. I, this is so <laughs> astounding to me that this would happen, right? <laughs> But this church isn't just doing that, you know, once a week or once a year. They do it every single day of the week. This is biblical. The Apostle Paul was constantly asking for prayer. Romans 15, pray for me that I might be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem would be acceptable to the saints there. I have to tell you, I sense this... Uh, Earlier this year, I was asked, it was a huge privilege to be asked to, to be part of the memorial services for the two officers who were tragically slain here in Santa Cruz. Keep praying for their families and SCPD and all those involved. 
But I mentioned to you that the weekend before, I said, please pray for me because I want to do right by the slain officers and their families. And as a Christian pastor, it's also my responsibility to, as the Bible says, uh, share the reason for the hope that I have with gentleness and respect, right? And you prayed for me. And I have to tell you, I have, I just felt buoyed up by your prayers, just like somebody injected helium into my, my bloodstream or something. I, I, just, I just felt such peace and such, such focus on that day. And I learned the power of all of you going, well, this is going to be really hard for Renee. Let's pray, pray, pray. And I'm asking you to, to do that again, to not stop, to keep praying for me, for Mark, that we may be effective. Pray for Dan as he makes his transition. Pray for Gary as he retires. Pray for Trent as he starts. Pray for all of the pastors here on church. Pray that, they, that, that their ministry to the saints would be acceptable and successful. Show of hands, how many of you will promise to pray for your pastors and your leaders here? Can I see that? We would appreciate that so much because it makes a difference. And one of the ways we want to get this kind of kick-started is this coming Saturday, we're having an all-church prayer day. It's going to be a prayer walk, and that's going to come up from 9.30 to 12.30. Next Saturday, you'll notice I'm not starting this at 5. I am not a morning person. It starts at 9.30. But this is sort of the, maybe the beginning of our own furnace room. And I want to invite you to come on out. We're going to meet right in here at 9.30. We're going to break into groups and walk around the campus and pray for it because your prayers really can increase our ministry impact. You know, this fall, we're, we're asking people to pray about how they might contribute to, to re-envisioning our campus, and there's buildings we hope to build and ministries we hope to start, but it shouldn't be about our own strength and what, quote-unquote, we can do. It has to start with prayer. Now, let me just say this. Maybe you're thinking, why would God even listen to my prayers? That's great, Renee, but, but, you know, you don't know about my background. God would never listen to my prayers. You know, there's a verse in the Bible in the book of James that says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, right? I used to read that verse and think, great, now all I have to do is find a righteous person. <laughs> because I know I'm not righteous, so I need to find, like, some Christian monk, like some spiritual Jedi knight, you know, up on a mountaintop somewhere. And then the prayers, his prayers are going to be powerful. Well, as I continue to study the Bible, I realized he's not talking about somebody out there on a mountaintop. He's talking about you and me. Because Romans chapter 3, verse 22 puts it this way. We are made righteous in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. That's good news. Do you get, what is it that makes us righteous? It's not that we do everything right. It's that we've been made righteous when we trust in Jesus Christ, when we have a relationship with him. There's going to be scores of people celebrating that today at the beach baptism, but you can celebrate that too because here's one of the implications. Jump back to that verse in James 5, the prayer of a righteous person, a righteous man or woman, that's you and me. If you have trusted in Christ and you desire to walk in step with his spirit, that's you. He's saying, your prayers are powerful and effective. The big idea 
is it makes a difference when I pray. And you're going to be making a difference right now in the lives of some of your friends, friends who you know are limping, are hobbling. Right now in prayer, you can run alongside of them and lift them up. Would you bow in prayer with me? With our heads bowed, let me just explain. Here's, here's what we're going to do. You're going to get a chance to do what we've been talking about. We're going to sing a couple of response songs, and I, I'm going to invite you to pray for others during this time. Some people God is putting on your heart right now. Who, are, who do you want to pray for? Who's, who's hobbling on that track? Right now, just think of those names. Just think of those faces. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you that it's because you first loved us. Thank you that you do hear our prayers because you've made us righteous through Christ. And we bring you in prayer right now. Those who are hurting, suffering, dying in chains, open our eyes to the ways we can help. Thank you for all your blessings by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.